We start off last Sunday night with a look at, at a new look, hopefully for you, of Proverbs 22.6. Because that of all the verses in the Bible regarding parenting, that is the one that I believe is the most abused, and it is the one that really brings this idea of determining outcome to bear in our lives. That if I do this as a parent, this will happen. And we saw that that verse really is saying something very different. And uh, when we look at the Hebrew words there, it is train up a child in the way they want to go, the way they want you to do it. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, and that's a very different, that's a warning verse now instead of a promise verse. That if you don't interject yourself early in their life, you are setting them up for a life of getting their own way. And I think that's what we're seeing in our society today um, all over the place. It is, in fact, it is probably the one thing that characterizes our society today is uh, we, we asked our children how we should raise them and then we took that advice and now we have a whole generation of selfish people um, because we let them make the decisions young. And so we're going to discuss that a little bit. So I asked the young people, the children today, for, I gave them an assignment. And that assignment was, what do you like or not like, or how do you want to be raised by your parents? If we're going to have child-directed parenting, that's the question we should be asking children, right? How do you want to be raised? And so I've asked them how they want to be raised. I had one person turn in their assignment. Oh, we got others. All right, we got some. Okay, here, I want to see these. I'm going to do a little brief editing. Anyone else? Josh. So this is Daniel's. Ah. Oh, these are excellent. Wow, I asked for three and I have like five. Boy, these, these Robert's kids have great ideas of how to be raised. How about you? All right, come on, give them up. It's all right. I won't, I won't tell whose is whose. I'll just put some on the board, okay? So, how do children want to be raised? Let's take a look at it. Um, I'm just going to randomly pick some out of the lists I have. I have one, two, three, four. I have six lists. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to not take them all off one list at one time. All right. So, here we go. So, let's just write down some of these. All right. Dessert all the time, right? Is that what it kind of says? Dessert after dinner always. Okay, sorry, I get this right. Always after dinner. All right, that's a good start. Would you agree? No? All right, um, here we go. Let's do one more. Not be yelled at. And I can repeat that one, two, three, four. <laughs> okay. So children do not ever want to be yelled at. Just, just, just spank them. Don't even yell at them first. Just spank them first. That's what they want, right? Is that what you meant, guys? No. Just, just get right to the spanking. Forget the yelling. Is that what you meant? No. no. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We can go into this. Um, not clean my room. Never clean my room. Not clean my room. That is multiple times on here as well. Um, don't have to clean. And I don't have to help clean. Oh, I like this one. Birthday parties whenever I want. That one has got to be good. Birthday parties whenever I want. Oh, be my slave, right? Parents should be your slave. So, um, no, not only not be yelled at, but I think all of them had on there no spankings. So I just put that, I didn't put that in first. So, no spankings or various versions of that. I don't know, some of the guys have interesting. Uh, do, 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 do. 
No spankings. Oh, did I put that one on there? I pick bedtime. I pick bedtime. So I can go to bed whenever I want. You don't decide I do. Um, and that, that is uh, similarly stay up late. I don't know what it is about staying up late. Why do they ever want to go to bed early that, and then get up early? Yeah, sleep in. Uh, and uh, you want me to read some more? I'm not going to write all these down. Let me just read through them here very quickly. Play with friends whenever I want. Never clean. Stay up late. I read that one. Um, I like it when you help me. They want their parents to help them do things. Uh, we want to no getting on the wall. I assume that means with the nose on the wall, another don't discipline. Uh, they want to be helped with their homework. They want to uh, have mom and dad dates whenever I want. I notice a theme on some of these, whenever I want, whenever I want, whenever I want, whenever I want. Uh, what, <laughs> water people's yards whenever I want. Uh, interesting. You can water my yard anytime you want. That's right. That's a good one. Play games. Ride ponies whenever I want. So we have this idea, right? And read whenever I want. And no quiet time. I assume that means resting and not your devotions. So if we have child-driven parenting, what do we end up with? Awful people, really? Isn't this what adulthood is? You do whatever you want? All right, children, look very closely. How many of you adults do whatever you want every day? Even Mr. Scott here is going, do you think your parents want to go to work? But do they go to work? Every day. Well, five days a week or four days if they have 10-hour shifts or three days if they have 12-hour shifts. They go to work. Why do they do that when they don't want to? Why? To stay alive. To take care of you. Because if they didn't have you, they wouldn't have to work so hard. Because they could have a smaller house, fewer cars, smaller cars, less food, all that stuff. Huh. So, here's the big clue, kids. The rest of your life is not about doing whatever you want. And in fact, that is what Satan tells people. That's exactly the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes to Adam and Eve says, God told you not to do this, but you should be able to do whatever you want. And Satan's lies haven't changed in all these thousands of years. It's the same lie. Do whatever you want. I want to do whatever I want. I want to do bad and not get yelled at. I want to ignore my parents and never get spanked. I want to say bad things and never be punished. I don't like the punishment for sin. Now, let me ask you adults, is there still a punishment for sin when you're an adult? What is it called? Jail. Jail. <laughs> Fines. You lose your job. You, you lose your house. Because the bank comes and takes it away from you. Or the government, if you don't pay your taxes. Okay? There's a penalty for sin. What in the Bible does the Bible say about a penalty for sin? Is there a penalty for sin? Benjamin, Brahmin, is there a penalty for sin? What does the Bible say is the penalty for sin? Death. Now, would all of us like to be able to do whatever we want and never be punished? Maybe, but let me think about this. If I did whatever I want and could never be punished, what kind of things could I do to you, Elizabeth? What kind of things could I do to you? I could do whatever I want and never be punished. Well, you know I'm a nice guy, so let's say some horrible criminal. What about what Sammy does to you and never gets punished? If Sammy could do whatever he wanted to and never get punished, would he ever hit you? Does he bite you now? I got bit by my grandson this week. 
He, he learned that he couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> when he went flying across the room, ah, I'm sorry. He landed on the couch, so it was okay. You see, the things you want are opposite of what God says are true. And they're opposite of what life is going to be like when you get older. And so we are going to hold to Proverbs 22.6 in, in, in a correct instruction, and that is that we do not raise children in their own way, is literally what it says. We don't train children the way they want to be raised because we know that that has no basis in reality, not in our experience of reality and not in God's word of reality. Does that have any basis in truth? And in fact, this has been the problem is that when parents come, we're going to talk about this in the course of time, how many choices do you give your child every day? Because the more choices you're giving your child every day, as a young child, most of your children here are very young, the more you're saying you decide how you're going to be raised. Now, I'm not talking about 13, 14, 15-year-olds. They should be moved along like an adult. Um, and at that point, you're introducing a, uh, more choices because they're deciding who, what kind of people they are. But in these ages, 10 and under... Um, we should be making those decisions because we're driving it, not them. You let them have their way of being raised. The end result is they will not depart from it when they're old. That means the rest of their lives, they're going to think everything in society should go their way. But the reality isn't there. But we have a whole generation of children right now who are living, believing everything should go their way. So if they get into debt going to college, what should happen to them? No, it's worse than even getting gifts from relatives that paid off. They think the government should pay it off. You shouldn't have to carry debt. When you got into the debt, you signed a little paper, you and your parents. It's your debt. When did it become our debt? I don't want to pay it. <laughs> Too bad. That's what debt is. It's a weight. And so this is the result of that kind of parenting that we've really seen. Okay, so that's the child one. That's to reinforce last week's verse of Proverbs 22.6. So that's review. I just used the children to help me review. And so we've got a good idea there. Now, adults, you had an assignment. And I'm going to write these on the board because it's going to be interesting. Um, Drew, Valerie, come out here and give me your three best parents in the Bible that you have. Come on out here, Val. You can leave Miss Andrea for the, with those little ones for five minutes. Give me your three. Is she coming? Run. Go ahead. Jethro. One more. Manoah. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Some of these will be hard to say. All right, send uh, Andrea out when you get there. All right, who else wants to share? Best, wife, best parents, yes. I'm going to just put Hannah because Elkanah is her husband in 1 Samuel 1. Okay, uh, Hannah is the one you remember, and spouse there. It's okay to put Anne's spouse. We should put Anne's spouse with all of these, right? Except for Mordecai, we don't know if there was a spouse involved. Eunice? That's his grandmother. Lois and Eunice? Okay. I might get them mixed up. This is the mother and grandmother of Timothy. Very good. Another one. Best parents in the Bible. Jacob. I should put these in groupings of what you have. What other? You have one more? Oh. Your kids wrote theirs down, you know. 
Andrea, three. Parents, quick. Yep. Noah and Mrs. Noah. One more. That's Manoah. Okay, get out of here. Okay. Got yours. Go back and help those babies be happy. All right, Elizabeth Zachariah. Abraham. Abraham. Any other ideas? Job. All right. Anyone else? You already gave me three, didn't you? What was the other one? Jehoshaphat. Okay. Okay. Methuselah was Enoch's son. <laughs> Enoch. All right. Interesting. What? I thought so. Rahab. Who's Rahab's husband? I don't know. It's going to cost him dearly. Any others? Yes. All right, this is a fictional person, right? Fictional father? Yeah, okay. Because the prodigal, fa- the prodigal son's father is really who? Is God. So it's really a, a picture of, the, of, a, of God himself as our father. <laughs> you can't, we're not going to decide. Um, we're going to talk about what makes a good parent. I just wanted to see your ideas, who you thought was a good parent. Or parents. Ruth and Boaz. All right, so we'll put Boaz up there. We're getting pretty much the whole line of David, pretty close to it. All right. Any others you really, 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 really want to get up there? Um, anyone over here? Brenda? Anybody? I can't hear you. That's, that's Scott. They're the next one. I have two phones up here talking to me. All right. Sorry. All right, so we have a few names up here. Um, if you want to know, um, you, you did pretty good on my list of who I thought. I have three Old Testament and three New Testament. You have um, one New Testament combo, and that's Lois and Eunice, who neither one of them are husbands or uh, a, a full one. Um, I do have Timothy's mother and grandmother as one, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Oh, you have Zacharias and Elizabeth up here, don't you? Yeah. Okay, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, so that's two from the Old New Testament. Um, biblically, uh, what book of the Bible are you going to go to, to that uh, is instructional for children from a father? Which is the premier book of the Bible for that? The book of Proverbs. My son, my son, my son. Written by whom? Not on any of your lists. Why? Because his kids were bad. Well, you weren't here last week, so that doesn't count. Because we are not determinists. So because we don't believe that you do this equals this is good, good kids, good kids is not necessarily the result of good parenting. And just like bad kids are not necessarily the result of bad parenting. We call it rebellion. The only way rebellion can happen in a negative way is if you have a positive instruction base for them to rebel against. Technically, you could also call a good kid in a bad home rebellious. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you rebelled against, you know, my parents were bad parents. They taught me to do evil, and I didn't want to do evil. That's, they're technically rebelling, right? They're not doing what their parents 
are instructing them to do. And so we're not going by outcome of children, but of all the wisdom of parenting, um, if there's one book that you identify as, here's an instruction manual for children from a parent, and, and has the most designation of my son, 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 and probably with one or two chapters from mom, my son, to my son, um, in that case it would have been Bathsheba, uh, that would be Solomon and Bathsheba. Or I'm not sorry, it would have been Bathsheba, sorry. Um, King Lemuel's wife, mother. Yeah, it would have been Bathsheba to Solomon. And so Solomon's not on your list because you don't think of him as being a good father. And because we look at his children and say, what a mess, Rehoboam screwed up right away. Yes. Well, he got into trouble. Right, and that's the question. We, we don't know. All right, so we built this list, and, and by the way, if you want to know, um, I, I think one that, you, that you've really badly missed because he specifically talks about his family, and that is Joshua, who at the end of his minute life says, you serve who you want to serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And for all the days of Joshua, and for all the days of the generation after Joshua, it says that they followed after the Lord. Very rare statement in Scripture, um, giving affirmation to the leadership of Joshua, not only in the nation, but also in his family. And he does, he's the one that says, as for me and my house, we will, we, not me, not I, we will serve the Lord. So I think Joshua has to be in the top ten, uh, top three. Uh, I believe uh, Job should be there, um, who was caring for the, as priest over his house, as well as parent. And, he, and we does see that in Job chapter one. Uh, the other New Testament one that I had on my list, if you're interested, is Cornelius. Um, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who's a just man, and uh, when the gospel was coming into the region, when Peter was being called in, what did he do? He went and got all of his friends and all of his family to hear the gospel. He wanted them all to hear the gospel, and there's strong historical evidence that that was a lasting impact uh, on his family, an extended family in church history. But you don't have church history, so the biblical record, though, does say that all who heard it believed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was because of the influence of one guy, Cornelius. And so in terms of impacting parenting, uh, I think Cornelius should be on your list. Um, but what I want to get at here this evening is what do you know about their parenting? What do we really know about biblical parenting of these parents? Um, because you had a reason for identifying these, and I could easily tear apart every single one of these, except for maybe one or two I would really struggle with. Manoah I would really struggle with. Um, other than, you know, I mean, he raised his son the way God told him to raise his son. And even as an adult, he tried to advise his son away from the problems, but it says that God wanted this conflict between his son Samson and the Philistines so that he could judge over the Philistines. And so God was permitting that to involve conflict. But Manoah is trying to avoid that. So I, I can't find very much in God's word to, to demonstrate a weakness there in his parenting. Um, but when we come to these guys, um, and I was doing this with the girls this week to just say they were throwing out names. I was like, oh, what about this? What about that? What about that? How much do you really know about their parenting? Probably the one that you have the most information about is Abraham, because we have a lot of interaction with him. Um, but uh, how many children did he have? How many sons? Eight. He had eight sons. Oh, gotcha. You only know of the first two. <laughs> okay. But after Sarai died, he had another wife, Keturah, uh, was it Keturah? And had six children, and one of them was named Midian. 
And Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was a Midianite. So he was a descendant of Abraham also. So there are six children from Abram's, <laughs> remember the guy is like 120 years old having six kids, okay? Because this would have been after uh, Sarah's death. And so he was a pretty, how'd you like a dad that's 130 or so, 120? Uh, and so he had six other children, so Midian is one of those. Um, and, then, uh, and he sent them away. He gave them gifts and sent them away. Out of the, and so he had other children, um, but eight sons, okay? And so when we look at these people, we know a little, we have known nothing about how Enoch raised Methuselah, right? You know nothing. But you know that he was a just man, and he was, and he was flawless in the sight of God, not without sin, but his faith was flawless in God. Uh, did Noah fail? What ended up with Noah? His grandson gets cursed. He, he got drunk and, and committed some lewd acts in front of, and his son laughed at him, and so his son, uh, the grandson of Noah, Canaan, gets cursed, okay? Um, did Hannah raise Samuel? How long? Weaning, which was delayed, um, which in Israel could go up to five years old. Um, you could nurse a child, and, and full weaning was considered at five, four to five, and so um, she had annual contact with, with uh, Samuel. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of actual raising, a lot of it was fell on Eli. But how did Eli do with his own kids? Did he? He didn't rebuke his children when they were adults. Um, but we really don't know how he raised them. We just know that as adults, he wouldn't correct them and rebuke them and chastise them for the things they were doing even though he knew about it, all right? And so whether he was trying to correct some things with um, Samuel or not, all right? So we, we know very little about their parenting. Job, we're told about how he dealt with his kids. Uh, we know nothing about the parenting of Boaz. And this brings me to the point today, and my time is really gone, um, uh, turn to 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Kings chapter 12. <clears throat> this is one of the kings of Israel we studied, and I'm just going to read through it very quickly. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, which became Joash later on, um, was, he's going to be known as Joaz. We're going to shorten it. Joash. Uh, reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed burnt incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priest, and he has all this instruction. But we want to focus in on this whole phrase that as long as he was instructed and led by Jehoiada, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, he's going to reign for 40 years. Now, how old was he when he became king? You have to go into the previous chapter to find that out. The last verse of the previous chapter. How old was he? Seven. You're thinking of Josiah. Joash was seven. Who's seven here tonight? Are you seven years old? Elizabeth, how old are you? Oh, you're too old. You guys are seven. Can't, so imagine Joshua Gonzalez becoming our king. Okay? Why are you guys laughing? Even these guys on the phone are laughing. Look, Scott, Mr. Scott is just laughing hard. He knows you, Joshua. Oh, my goodness, he's just roaring out there. We just can't hear him. So, Joshua's our king. Is he fully raised? Let's see, should I pick on Joshua's um, doesn't ever want to be punished for anything ever? Okay? Well, as king, you could never be punished by anyone ever, right? 
you were king, can you imagine, Joshua, if you were king? Could anyone punish you? Could your mom punish you? If you're the king? You're not sure, are you? I'm not either. But God put in his life, we only know his mom, his dad's dead. He wouldn't become king unless his dad died. So his dad is dead. We know his mom's name. So who's taking the role? Jehoiada, the priest. And so if Joshua becomes king, it'd be like, Pastor Kirk is going to, as long as I'm alive, and he's going to do whatever I say, and he's going to be a good king, and he's going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord, because I'm not going to let him stray. And if he does, I'm going to smack him. Oh, wait, he doesn't like being smacked. He's going to put me in jail if I do that. One of the best examples of the influence of parenting is, is this. As long as Jehoiada was alive, and he lived quite a while, but as soon as Jehoiada died, Joash faltered in being a good king. He had influences from others. We learn that really more in Chronicles than in, than in Kings. And so the influence of this is, very, is, is a wonderful example of good parenting, even though he wasn't the parent, much like Mordecai was an uncle, and there's one other one up here that was not a, and Jethro was a father-in-law. Um, and oh, Of course, he was the father of Moses' wife, and uh, she obeyed him and married that guy and, uh, that was shepherding their sheep there and watered them. We know very little about this parenting. But when we read about a man who does what's right in the eyes of the Lord, as long as this person is right beside him, I think this is one of the best descriptions of godly parenting. That as long as I am with, fill in the blank, I'm doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. And that is, I think, the epitome of godly parenting. That as long as my children are with me under my roof, I will lead them to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Once they choose to leave that house or rebel against that, um, that's on them. But as long as I have influence, my influence needs to be to direct them to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And certainly I see my children leave my home and go out into the world to make a home of their own, a life of their own, and some of their choices do not please me. Because I know that God isn't really pleased by that. But I know that while they're in my home, I wanted them to make sure they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to instruct them in that. And I'm going to lead by example. And Jehoiada does that for Joash the king. The, high pri the priest that year does that. We have this wonderful restoration of the temple under his leadership. We have people bring in, there, there's a better monetary handling. This is all under the, the observation of a seven-year-old king. Granny wasn't seven the whole 40 years, from seven to 47, <laughs> okay? Um, he's 47 before he dies. Still seems kind of early, um, but... Uh, he only followed, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as long as Jehoiada was alive. Are we doing what is right when we are with mom and dad? Now, which one is likely to happen? I'm going to ask some of our young people. Um, Talitha, are you tend to be better behaved when your dad is with you or when your dad is away? When are you better? Are you a better kid when he's with you or is he a better kid... I, I might, shouldn't do this because maybe he's just, oh, when I'm with dad, I do all kinds of bad things. <laughs> Which way? Do you get into trouble? Oh, I didn't ask you about that. I asked you how you behaved yourself. Are you better when he's home or when he's gone? Do you behave yourself more when he's home or when he's gone? When he's home? He's watching you, huh? This is the best we should anticipate that while they're under my influence, while they're under my observation, while they're under my uh, parenting, um, I will direct them to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. 
And certainly we see that in a lot of these people, um, that they are certainly going to communicate that to their children. Whether their children receive it or not is a different story. Rebellion can happen. Now, is Jehoiada the, was he a priest before Joash? Yes. But the problem is Joash's dad didn't listen to him. Are there godly people leading these? Yes. The problem was that they ignored the priest. Rehoboam, did he have good advice from some people? That's the son of Solomon that became king. Did he have some good advice? Who did he get it from? Good advice. The old timers. And that was one of the things that was going to be in this video um, because they talked about an old-fashioned woodshed out back to take your kid to. And I'm like, when do you think this was made? When do you think that was, was that like the... No, 60s would have been color, so it had to be in the 50s. So in the 1950s, they were already trying to communicate that a woodshed out back is old-fashioned. What's the purpose of a woodshed out back? That's for spankings, because you go to the woodshed and you get yourself out a stick and you smack your kid with it. That's what a woodshed, that's what it meant taking you out to the woodshed. Usually there would be a switch. Um, and I had a, a phys ed teacher in middle school that in his office there was a board of education. That would be called child abuse today, and he'd probably be arrested, but he had a board of education. You know what it was? It was a paddle with holes drilled out of it. It was a paddle with holes drilled out of it, about this long, handle here, Paddle part about that long, and whack! I had another teacher that we had to spank each other because he knew he wasn't going to get away with spanking kids in high school. That's become old-fashioned. It was the old-timers that were advising Rehoboam correctly, and he ignored them, and he listened to his peers. Now, you children probably don't know what the word peers mean. What does the word peers mean? Classmates. They can be classmates. What other word means peers? Your siblings could be your peers. People about your own age and experience are your peers. And so Rehoboam ignored the old people his dad's age that were under the wisdom of Solomon and, and served under Solomon, the wisest man on earth. He ignored his dad's instruction, ignored his his men's instruction, who do you think Solomon would put in the leadership roles? He would put up the best people. He ignored them, and he went and listened to the young men that were his age. One of the most frightening things that happens in middle school, why I don't advocate public school and haven't even before public school went bad, was because you have children teaching children. What they learn in school by far from each other, by far exceeds what they learn from their teachers. Even in a homeschool setting, they are picking things up from their peers. I remember Julie getting angry at Brenda because she was learning stuff that was in Julie's lesson. She's learning my lesson! Because peers... Children learn from peers. Why do they want to learn from peers and not from adults? Because they want to do whatever they want. Because they are driven by foolishness. Can you imagine sixth graders arriving at Truman Middle School and thinking that eighth graders have all the answers and are cool? And I'm going to follow their example? The concept is frightening. And that's why from 6th to 8th grade is when we lose most all of our children in our children's program. They're great through 5th grade. They hit 6th grade. They hit true in middle school. And they might last 6 months here after that. And they're gone. Why? Because they think 8th graders have all the answers. Rehoboam was foolish. He had access to the truth. He had access to Solomon's truth. When you hear, my son, my son, my son, who do you think Solomon is writing to? A guy named Rehoboam. 
one of his sons, who divided the kingdom of Israel in half because they didn't listen. So Solomon isn't on here because Solomon in his later years messed up and, and let his wives take you, which is going to take me to my last point, which is, where does time go? Um, he failed, but many of these people failed. We're not talking about being perfect. If you're trying to be a perfect parent, you're going to give up. Give up now because you've already failed, I'm sure, by now. We don't let our children direct the parenting because they have foolishness. And so the warning to the children is, this is something you need to do all your life is honor your father and mother. Consider the wisdom of the aged that Rehoboam didn't. He, didn't, he had the whole book of, book of Proverbs written to him by his dad, the wisest man on earth, and he ignored it. And it got him into trouble and divided the whole kingdom, tore, tore ten-twelfths of the kingdom from his hand. He only had two tribes out of twelve stayed with him. Ten tribes left because he ignored it, the instruction of his dad. So just because we have this influence doesn't mean it's going to be lasting. That's why Proverbs 22.6 is better taken as a warning rather than a promise. Now, most important relationship in a child's life I told you this morning I was going to share this, and I was going to take about 20 minutes on it, and I have four. So, um, most important relationship in your child's life is not between them and their dad. Okay, dad, I hate to tell you this. The relationship between you and your child is not the most important in their life. The relationship between the child and their mom is not the most important relationship in their life. And I'm talking about human relationships. I'm not going to throw God on you. Okay, that's not what I'm getting at. Human relationships. The relationship between you and your child is not primary. The relationship between your child and their siblings is not the most important relationship in their life. The most important relationship in the life of your children is between their mom and their dad. I'll say it again. The most important relationship for your children is between their mom and their dad. That is the most important relationship. Mom and dad should be the priority to each other and there should be no confusion in the family that dad loves mom and that mom honors dad. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Those two facts should never be questioned in the minds and hearts of your children. It will bring the stability in their life that will resolve so many things. If they know that dad loves mom more than he loves them. Dad loves mom more than he loves sports. More than he loves, I'm going to pick on you, uh, guns. More than Because you guys went shooting today. Um, dad loves mom more. Is 100% heart commitment, will commitment, life commitment to care for mom. Mom is the apple of his eye. That means so much to your children you can't even imagine. They need to see mom treated with, with like a queen by dad. They need to see it. And will they, how will they react? Well, how do they react when dad comes in and gives a long kiss to mom? I don't think my, my children still can't stand it. <laughs> what is wrong? Ew! That's what they're saying. You know what they're going? Oh, my dad loves his wife, my mom. My mom and dad are in love. Wives, they need to know that you honor, respect, obey, and submit to dad because you are calling on them to do that, that relationship with their dad, their father, respect and honor him, and so you ought to be doing it. They don't hear anything out of your mouth against dad. They don't hear you complaining against him. You don't say, your father. I remember hearing those words growing up. When, your father. And the tone, it didn't matter what came after that. The tone itself told me that my dad isn't honorable. The relationship between husband and wife is the most important relationship in every child's life, their mom and dad. That stability. When you see the attack on the family happening, and you see these kids with all of these issues, 
um, we, can, we can channel so much of it back to the fact that they come from homes that are broken. They are not broken because children and parents didn't get along. They are broken because mom and dad did not get along. As much as a child doesn't want to be yelled at, you know what they want to hear less? They want to hear less of parents yelling at each other. They would rather take it. And in fact, there are many instances in which children would rather direct the anger to them than to that husband-wife relationship. You want to invest in your parenting, you invest in your spouse. Husbands, you are to love your wife, you are to be experts at her. You are to be the expert on your wife. The Bible declares that. You will dwell with her with understanding. And I preach it at every wedding I've done. <laughs> right? Preach at your wedding? Yeah. You, I should ask him, told you, right? <laughs> dwell with your wife with understanding. I asked her, I was like, oh. She's like, oh, you didn't tell me that. You told um, dwell with your wife with understanding. Love her with all your heart. You're going, that alone will secure her place as their mother. And it will give them safety and security. And there is no divide. Your children will seek to divide you. But remember, children, everything on the list that children wanted, was any of it good, really? Dessert? <laughs> At least it was after the meal. Even, I want, you know, they're going to want to draw your attention, bring it to me, bring it to me, because they're selfish. But what they want and what is good for them aren't always the same. What they desperately need is to know that mom and dad are in a secure, godly, biblical relationship. And it will go so far. And I'm not just talking about getting a babysitter and going on a date every now and then. I'm talking about day to day, hour by hour, meal by meal, event by event, that they see that there is a genuine, godly relationship between mom and dad. And that goes so far. And so if you want to have any blame on Solomon, it's because he did not model that to his children. You go through these people and you look at their failures, and, and I'm not sure Samson is a failure, um, he was used of God to that. But one of the things you'll see modeled, even in Hananiah and her husband, Elkanah, isn't it Elkanah? Yeah. Uh, her husband, that there was conflict there in the home. Wasn't there? Because there were two wives. And there was conflict. And this is disruptive to children the worst thing they could conceive of is a conflict between mom and dad. And many, many, many children, the overwhelming majority of children are raised in homes, whether they are separated or not, in which there is constant conflict between mom and dad. And it is troubling their spirits all the time. The top relationship you should work on to be a good parent is to be a good spouse. First and foremost... Am I being the spouse that I need to be? Not am I being the dad I need to be. Am I being the husband I need to be? Being a dad will come. And it will become a lot easier if you're the dad you're supposed, or you're the husband you're supposed to be. Being the mom you're supposed to be will come. It will come easier if you're the wife you're supposed to be. That has to be your priority. And biblically, I see that model again. So the question was asked, is Eve a good parent? Well, she named her children by evidence that she had faith that God would keep his promise, maybe even in one generation. But I want you to notice that it wasn't her immediate family that was noted in Scripture. It was her son's influence. Seth was the one. Remember, one of her sons killed another one of her sons. I'm not sure I would make that a qualification of being a good mom. One of your kids killed the other kid. Okay, that's outcome-based, I know. But, um, but there is one designation. Under Seth and his household, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Not under Eve, not under Adam, under Seth. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So 
based upon that, I would say no. And, and from the scripture, I see conflict between Adam and Eve as the sin was happening. Adam wasn't fulfilling his role, and there was a breakdown there a little bit. And so, um, focus on that relationship. And you're going to keep, I'm going to keep coming back to this. I'm not going to harp on it, but I'm going to keep drawing back into this um, week by week. So I have no assignment for you for this week. I've gone five minutes late. I apologize somewhat. Um, Next week, um, we're going to uh, press on into some of the specifics here. There are only a handful of verses in Proverbs for parenting. A handful. The rest of it is about childing, how to be a good kid. My son, my son, my son. And we're going to let daughters in on that a little bit too. Um, but a handful of verses on parenting, we want to address those. And then we're going to go into and look at some of the conflicts that we're dealing with um, compared to our society over this time. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your word and for its warnings, its instruction. And Lord, we um, recognize that foolish is bound up in the heart of a child. And we we can hear and see it in the way they want to be raised. They think they want to be raised, but we know that that will only bring misery all their days because it's not built upon your truth. It's not built upon even reality. And Lord, help us to have the wisdom to see that our children need us to take up your word and to exemplify it to them, to show it to them. And Lord, we know that in the home, the best place for that to start is between mom and dad. And Lord, I pray for husbands and wives here in our church. And Lord, we um, all have conflict. We all have issues within those relationships because we're all broken people who have been repaired by the power of the resurrection and made new creatures. And yet we still carry that old sin nature around. Dead as it is, it still influences us. Lord, we need your help to be better husbands, to be better wives for each other, for your glory, and for our children. Help us to be better in our marriages. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.